As we prepare to delve into this topic this morning, it's my privilege to introduce to you our speaker. Kurt Weaver, you can come on up, serves as the Director of Strategic Partnerships for the Pennsylvania Family Institute in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And I believe one of those strategic partnerships is the Church Ambassador Network, correct? Correct. So that's where I have had some interaction with Kurt, and I'm deeply grateful for his work. Um, He prepares and educates the church on current events and issues that are happening in our state and in our nation in order that the church can respond appropriately to those things from its theological position. So we're grateful for the work that he and his team does. Prior to working for PA Family, Kurt spent 11 years in pastoral ministry and is a graduate of Lancaster Bible College in Lancaster, PA, and the Pastors College in Louisville, Kentucky. So, Kurt, thank you for being with us this morning. Would you all give Kurt a warm welcome as he speaks to us? Well, thank you all. What an honor to be here at this church. And i got to just tell you, um, I, I speak all over uh, the state and many different churches. I love the name of your church. Uh, in a culture where everything is nebulous, you don't know what people stand for, Here, your name establishes what you stand for and who you are. Church of the Living Christ. That is an amazing name. And you people, yes, knowing you all stand and believe in the Living Christ is very encouraging. Before I get started and launch into things, I want to say a a couple things. Um, Olivia Cockley, where's Olivia? Olivia, stand up. You, got, you need to stand up. You need uh, Olivia. Th- there you go. You all love and know Olivia and her family, right? So give it up for Olivia. <laughs> Olivia is one of our executive assistants. So you might not have known that, but she works for Pennsylvania Family Institute. We're so grateful for her. And um, as the pastor just said about being theological, uh, let me just tell you, she is uh, outstanding and doing some great work, and she has a good grasp on what a biblical worldview is in this world. Well, I was really encouraged by worship this morning, and um, where's Alex? Is Alex in the room? There he is. Alex, thank you for leading us in worship this morning so passionately. And um, I just want to thank you and your family also in regards to respite care. Uh, the work that you're doing, the ministry that you're doing. This church, you all are marked by love for those who are hurting in this world. The way that you stand up for life, the sanctity of life, is very encouraging. I know many of you have gone down to Harrisburg and attended the Pennsylvania March for Life. Thank you for doing that. Yesterday, I was at the National March for Life. Actually, I was there all week. Um, I, every year, I am the production manager for all the events that happen on the national level, the National March for Life in Washington, D.C. And uh, we just had an amazing event. In the snow, mind you, you have uh, hundreds of thousands of people gathered right there on the National Mall, right? The media doesn't pick it up. But you have so many people committed to the sanctity of life that they would show up even in the snow. I'm not sure if you know who Coach Harbaugh is. He just won um, the college championship. 
he was there and spoke, and I was speaking to him backstage, and we were talking about this being football weather. And he says, it's good to know that people just don't come to sporting events and show enthusiasm in the cold, wintry weather, but that there's people, God's people, showing up in the wintry weather to stand for the sanctity of life. And you all are part of that in regards to what you give up by traveling, by making your voices heard. In fact, uh, every year we do host, down in, D, uh, down in Harrisburg, mind you, we host the Pennsylvania March for Life. And here's why marching and showing up and making our voices heard for life is because we don't have the media on our side. As you heard earlier, we don't even have society on our side. Who, who are the voices? Who are the people standing for life, if not the church? And so it's our responsibility. We can't count on other people. We can't count on the unregenerate to stand for life. We, for us, it is theological. We know that God is the creator of all life. We're the ones that need to stand for righteousness. And so that's why these events are hugely important when it comes to making a difference in our culture. I'm going to play you a little short recap video from this past year. Maybe some of you will see your faces in this video, but I want to inspire us to not give up in standing for life. There you go. If you haven't attended before, please consider doing so and uh, making your voice heard for life. Uh, at Pennsylvania Family Institute, we have been standing for life for over 30 years. That's why our organization even exists. And we represent you all there in Harrisburg. And yes, it's not a political issue, but it's been made political, right? Everything has been made political, it seems, in our day and age, right? Um, but it, first and foremost, it really is theological, and that's why we stand for these things, because it is righteous to do so. So today, uh, if you would, please turn in your Bibles to Genesis 1. Genesis 1. And let me just open up in prayer. Father, we come to you now. Father, our very breath, as we sang this morning, is from you. And the very breath, the very life that we have, you call us to glorify you with it. Father, as we look around this world, we can become discouraged. But help us to not grow weary in doing good, but help us to continue to sow the seeds of righteousness in this world. For we are your people. We are your light. We are the salt of the earth. We are the ones who stand for you and stand for the right things in this world. Please encourage us to not give up or grow weary. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, normally when Christians talk about the sanctity of life, we focus on the value of the lives of the unborn, which we must, because there is a war against the unborn 
in this country. Horrifically, horrifically, over a million babies are aborted in our nation each year. We must not grow weary in standing up for the unborn. In Harrisburg, currently, our legislature wants to pass a bill to enshrine abortion in our state constitution, allowing abortion up to all nine months of pregnancy. Horrific. It's horrific, however, that in our state, we have an Abortion Control Act that allows abortion up to six months of pregnancy. Now, get in your minds a six-month pregnant woman. You can envision that, right? Now imagine what could happen in our state, a nine-month pregnant woman about ready to give birth. We need to protect lives and make our voices heard that our leaders are not to continue to push abortion in this state. But today, I'd like to take a detour and examine a topic not often discussed, but equally important. It's the value and dignity of human life at the end of life. Many of us, myself included, are maybe nearer to the end of life than the beginning of life. And although we need to be vigilant to stand for the unborn and the orphans and the neglected, thinking about our own death or our loved ones is a very relevant topic to us all, especially as we get older. Now maybe you remember 1990, Dr. Kevorkian. How many people recognize that name? Oh, wow, a fair amount. You youngins probably don't. But Dr. Kevorkian, also known as the doctor of death, unfortunately assisted in a 54-year-old woman's diagnosis with Alzheimer's death, assisting in her own suicide. And although his medical license was taken away from him, he continued in these heinous actions over eight years, assisting in over 130 deaths until he was convicted of second-degree murder in 1998. Now, that was 1998. And you would think, ha, he was convicted. Therefore, we're safe, right, from assisted suicide. It's not true. Our world's become increasingly dark. There are currently eight states here in the U.S. that have legalized doctor-assisted suicide. And there's more states coming on board each and every year, taking thousands of vulnerable lives, the elderly. Sadly, we see to our neighbors of the North, Canada, who have made medical assistance in death made legal for those who have serious incurable illnesses, disease, or disability. And starting in March, get this, even those who struggle with mental illness or depression 
can obtain government-funded, doctor-assisted suicide. Isn't that crazy? Even if you have depression. Think about that patient, how vulnerable they are in that moment of depression. And now the state is saying, hey, well, fill out this form and um, we can set up assisted suicide for you. In fact, there are commercials running in Canada telling Canadians that death by suicide is a beautiful thing. Folks, evil all around us and growing. Nearly 50,000 people have died by assisted suicide in Canada. Our world, interestingly, is now calling this death with dignity laws. Do you remember Satan in the garden? <laughs> Twisting words. Have you seen this happening around culture? Words being twisted, being misused, redefined. And here we have doctor-assisted suicide being called death with dignity laws. It should not be. So my main point this morning is this. Concern for the quality of human life should not override the intrinsic value of human life, right? Concern for the quality of human life should not override the intrinsic value of human life. And today we have two simple points to unpack this. Where does human life come from? And who owns life? And what is its purpose? And so let's take a look at our first point. Where does human life come from? Where does it come from? Well, we got to go all the way back to Genesis 1. So if you have your Bibles, please take a look at Genesis 1, 26 through 27. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, controversial topic, male and female, he created them. And God saw everything, everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. Now, maybe we've heard these verses so often that we miss the incredibleness of this passage. We, humans, we are the only beings created in the image of God. After the Trinitarian likeness of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we had the creation mandate then to have dominion over our world and over every living thing. And then after God created humanity, God sees his completed order. 
And he looks over all his completed creation. And what does he say about humanity? Very good. This is now very good. Behold, it is very good. You see, humans are created in the Imago Dei, the image of God. This alone gives inherent dignity and in, intrinsic value to our lives. Therefore, determining what lives are not worth living or don't have fundamental value rejects this dignity that we are image bearers of God from our Creator. Later in Genesis, after the flood, God once again gives a covenant and reiterates the creation mandate to Noah and his offspring. Genesis 9, 3 through 6, says this, Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. Isn't that a great? Aren't you glad that's in your Bible? I, I am. Every living thing shall be our food. Good. That's great. Any hunters in here? Very good. That's your... That there is your verse, all right? <laughs> Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life that is as blood. And for your lifeblood, I require a reckoning. From every beast, I require it from man. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man... By man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. So according to God, every human life is to be valued so highly that it is to be protected above all living creatures, creatures because God created humanity in his own image. Every other Created creature and plants are allowed to be taken for nourishment, but not so with humanity. Not so with humanity. In fact, talking about the punishment that would come if you take innocent life. So let's think through this a little bit. Let's get a little more practical here this morning. As we look at the big picture of the value of human life, Let's now talk about some scenarios. And we have to apply a biblical worldview to these scenarios. Can they can be hard, a hard topic. So Sam is a 73-year-old man who is diagnosed with an aggressive type of cancer. He decides to receive cancer treatment, but nothing seems to work. And the cancer continues to ravage his body. His organs waste away and the pain continues to increase. And after four years later of battling cancer, at the age of 77, he's just tired of fighting. So he tells his wife, I'm done. I'm done living. And I would like to seek physician-assisted suicide to end this constant suffering and free the family from the burden of watching me go through this. After many sleepless nights, his family agrees to his request since it's ultimately what Sam wants. It's what he wants. 
And he's endured four horrific years of suffering with seemingly no cure in sight. Now, in that scenario, we can easily see how tempting it would be to forget Scripture at a time like this and actually sympathize, and well, we should sympathize, but even maybe agree with Sam and his family and say, yeah, maybe it's his choice. Okay, it's his choice. It's his life, by the way, right? Here's another scenario to put things in perspective. Joey is a healthy 17-year-old boy with a good mind and a promising future when he also is struck with cancer. His parents put Joey through an aggressive cancer treatment even using new experimental medicine, they try everything they can afford and then some. But after years, after years, they're told that the cancer is progressing and Joey is not improving. His weight drops to a mere 65 pounds and he's only able to stay awake for a few hours a week. He's become clinically depressed and begins to despair of life itself. Recognizing that his life is almost over, Joey asks his parents if there's any way they can help him end this suffering. But his parents instead say, no, Joey, we will do everything we can do to help you beat this cancer. They encourage him to not give up, but to continue to have hope and to battle. Why? Because Joey has his whole life in front of him. Although sadly, there's a chance that Joey won't even see his 20th birthday. Now, let me just say this. Both these stories are heartbreaking. No example can quite capture the reality of watching a loved one beg to be put out of their misery unless you too have ventured through those scenarios. This is why in these moments we must lean on God and cling to his word more, more than what the world tells us is acceptable. So we must ask a few questions from these two stories, right? Does the value of human life change based upon someone's circumstances? Does the value of life change based on someone's circumstances? But we just read earlier in Genesis, right, that every human life has value, intrinsic value. Why? Created in the image of God. God is the one who breathes life and gives life, right? So no, it doesn't change the value based on someone's circumstances. Does it change based upon someone's age or health? No, all life has value. Does it change based upon someone's degree of suffering or personal wishes? No, it doesn't change, although challenging and hard at times. Does it change based upon someone's possible future or even their past experiences? So let's try to carefully unpack this. Euthanasia. What is euthanasia? I told my kids um, that I was preaching on euthanasia, 
And my one daughter was like, what about the euthanasia? Um, I'm glad you laughed at that. Uh, I thought it was funny, too. She was very confused. She's like, yeah, we should care about the youth over in Asia. We really should, you know. So, so let's unpack this. What, what is it, okay? It is where a doctor kills a patient with lethal injection. Basically murder, right? What is physician or doctor-assisted suicide? which we're seeing all over the country and certainly in Canada as well. It's where a doctor gives the patient lethal medicine to take their own lives. And then number three, how about withdrawal of care? Maybe some of you have experienced this with loved ones. The doctor removes life-sustaining care, usually when no recovery is possible, and allows the patient to naturally pass away peacefully. So let's discuss each of these terms in a biblical worldview, right? So euthanasia, all humans have value because they bear God's image, because humans bear the image of God. The shedding of innocent blood is strictly forbidden for us, as we read earlier in Genesis. Therefore, euthanasia is morally, biblically, theologically wrong. It's murder. No matter if the patient wants it or not. How about physician-assisted suicide? Well, again, because humans bear the image of God and have intrinsic value, aiding in someone's death is also an affront to Scripture's call for the sanctity of human life. Just because someone wants to die doesn't mean that helping them die is the moral thing to do, because it's not. And then we get to the third one, withdrawal of care. Withholding treatment that no longer benefits a patient is not immoral. Hard, challenging, heartbreaking, yes, but not immoral. You see, intentionally killing an innocent life for any reason is immoral. Euthanasia and physician-assisted suicide intentionally kill innocent human beings, but withholding medical care when it's absolutely certain that a patient will not recover is allowing the patient to die from natural causes. God then decides the number of days. And I'm sure some of you have been placed in this position with elderly family members when you had to make a hard decision to do so. Allowing natural death to run its course in terminally ill patients does not violate the sanctity of human life. However, we must never forget that dying patients, even those who might be unresponsive like all humans, still bear God's image. And so to be clear, we are never to intentionally end human suffering via euthanasia or doctor-assisted suicide. Writer Mary Worcester says this, Although it may sometimes appear to be an act of compassion, killing is never a means of care. True caring is holding someone's hand 
and suffering right alongside of them. We should maximize care and, yes, minimize the suffering, but let us not immorally eliminate the sufferer. True words. Although extremely difficult, making the withdrawal of care decisions must be done with a great deal of care and wisdom and considering what is best for the individual, the family, and certainly what glorifies God. But in regards to physician-assisted suicide, author, speaker Scott Klusendorf gives some important questions to consider. He says this, Who gets suicide prevention and who gets suicide assistance? Or who should we prevent from killing themselves? Nearly always, the question will expose a failure to treat human beings equally due to age or disability. So note this dialogue that I'm about to give. Let's say I'm speaking with a skeptic or a critic. And I say, should an 80-year-old depressed man get suicide prevention or suicide assistance? The critic might say, well, it's his choice. And then I might say, should we offer doctor-assisted suicide to an 18-year-old who is chronically depressed? And the critic will probably say, well, no, that's different. He has his whole life in front of him. Note these two scenarios, right? The defender of doctor-assisted suicide discriminates on the basis of age. He will provide suicide prevention to the youth but not the elderly. And that is ageism. Here's another scenario. Me, talking to a critic. Should a healthy 35-year-old suffering from chronic depression get suicide prevention or suicide assistance? The critic might say, well, suicide prevention. He has a lot of life ahead of him. He might have a family. We should treat his depression. And I might say, well, what about a healthy 35-year-old who is depressed and who is a paralegic? Oh, that changes things in the critic's mind, right? Well, I think it should be his choice to decide. Because what's at stake? What's at stake is his comfort, his place in life, his circumstances. And so I might say, so you don't think that we should treat people equally? And the critic might say, well, what are you talking about? And I would say, well, doesn't everyone deserve suicide prevention? Why are you offering suicide prevention to people without disabilities, but suicide assistance to those with disabilities? Isn't that a failure to love them equally? So my point is this in these scenarios, Again, that all innocent human life is equal, regardless of what the world may think, even despite any disabilities they might have. Listen, if you think about this, we're all on a spectrum, right? We all have some sort of disability because we're not perfect. I've been, I've been working all week long on my feet. Guess what hurts? My back. <laughs> is that a disability? No. No. But you see what I'm talking about? We all are on the spectrum, 
of disabilities. And we all should be treated equally with love. Recently, I shared that with one of my neighbors that I was speaking on this topic. And uh, my neighbor said, well, that's a tough topic. And then he went on to say, my thoughts are that it's a very personal and individual decision. He said, it's really their decision to make because it's their life to live. And then I said this, maybe I shouldn't have shot back, but I shot this back and I said, well, I guess it depends on who you think the owner of life is. And this brings us to our second point. Who does actually own life? I mean all of life, like our lives, our very existence, our loved ones' lives, the people around us, our neighbors, our kids. Who owns those lives? Well, I'm sure you've heard the catchphrases in today's society. My body, my body, my choice, right? You hear that a lot. Or like my kids say to me, dad, you do you. Okay, whatever. You really don't want me doing me because, you know, I'm selfish and, you know, the Bible doesn't support that. But anyhow, you do you. Or you also hear, it's your life, do what you want. Or the Disney phrase, do whatever makes you happy. That's what we hear these days. So it's no wonder that when we're talking about euthanasia, this is how the world thinks. Well, it's your life. Do what you want. You do you, whatever makes you happy. Right? So, what is life about? What is the meaning and purpose of life? Well, the Westminster Shorter Catechism gives us some biblical truth here. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Where does this come from? 1 Corinthians 10.31. So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do all to the glory of of God. So what's our chief end? It's for him. We're made for God. We're made for his glory. Who owns life? God owns life. We see in Ezekiel 18:4 it says God says, "Behold, all souls are mine." Wow. Doesn't get any clearer than that, right? King David writes The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein, right? There again, very clear. God owns life, every single life. And so it's clear biblically that God is the creator and God is the owner of all life. From conception to first breath to final breath and into eternity, God owns it. Whether your eternity is spent with him in heaven or whether your eternity is spent in eternal torment in hell, God owns all of life. Suicide or taking an innocent life is trying to assume ownership of something that we don't own. 
Whether it's a baby in the womb, a person struggling through terminal cancer, or someone facing clinically long-term depression, God owns that person's life. And therefore, it is a rejection, the independence of God, and the author of life and controller of death. It's a rejection of God. It's Godless. Now, I'm sure that some of you here are facing hard death and life situations. Some of you have or are facing significant depression where maybe the darkness just never seems to end. And listen, maybe some of you have even thought about or considered ending your life. I know that my words might seem hollow, but your life and your life and your life, and your life matters. It matters. Your life has value. Your life has purpose. Because God gave it to you. So I encourage you, if you're struggling through depression, and you've considered ending your own life, look to Christ, the author, and the perfecter of your salvation. About seven years ago, I went through one of the hardest times of my life. I was filled with depression, shame, torment, anxiety. I wanted to run and hide away. In fact, I thought like Job that it would be better if I was dead to get rid of this misery and to leave this evil world behind. But God continued to work in me, not giving up on me. Many of us have that experience. Continued to remind me that he has and he will fulfill his purposes in my life and in all that I was going through. You see, one of the fruits of being faithful through trials was that you become a testimony of God's grace and power. In fact, others would say to me going through that time, they would say, wow, it's amazing to see that you're still walking with the Lord. They were able to see God's grace in me and through me, but by God. You see, the idea that we are autonomous and independent individuals, free to do whatever we want to do with our lives, is not in line with biblical truth. Our lives are meant to be lived in accordance with God's design for our lives. He created us, again, for His glory, not our own glory. But the problem is that each one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We rebelled against our creator and his design for our lives. We went our own ways. We pursued our own selfish ambition and happiness, and we slapped God in the face with our arrogance and our pride. And we've broken all of his commandments and pursued not his glory, but our own glory. And also, how often do we fail 
to value life in a general sense. Not just our own lives, but how about the lives of others around us? We lie. We mock. We scorn. We fight. We manipulate. We hurt. And we put ourselves before others in our prideful arrogance. The Apostle Paul felt this very deeply as he wrote in Romans 7. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I'm sure that some of you here are facing some challenges. But one of the sweetest verses in the Bible comes in a very strange place. You see, the Apostle Paul is addressing sexual immorality in the church, and he makes this profound statement that we cannot miss. He says this in 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20. You are not your own. What does the world say? You are your own. You pursue your happiness. It's all about you. But here, we're being told, we're not our own. Why aren't we our own? We've been bought with a price. So glorify God and your body. What was that price? It was the shed blood of Jesus the shed blood of Jesus Christ who bought us so that we might be free from the eternal pangs of death. Praise God that we're no longer our own, facing our own demise, facing the punishment for our own sins. We, those who believe in Christ, have been bought by the blood of Christ Jesus. Therefore, because Christ owns us, we must honor God with our lives. This also means that we must honor the Lord in our sufferings. You see, God uses suffering and pain to draw us closer to Him. That is why James tells us time and time again that suffering and trials are to be considered joy because it tests and it deepens our faith and trust in God, our Creator. A number of years ago, I heard a church leader say this. He said to, he was speaking to pastors, and he said, he was challenging pastors, saying, you need to prepare your congregation for suffering. Because we want to be people who suffer well in this life. The Apostle Paul points out in his letter to the Corinthians that suffering prepares us for eternity. Listen to 2 Corinthians 4. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. 
For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Have you ever thought of suffering in this way? That suffering and trials actually turn our hearts from loving and holding to this world to yearning for the next? Our eternal resting place with Christ? Where there will be no more pain, no more suffering or tears. Revelation tells us, He will wipe away every tear from our eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. You see, valuing life at the end of life, allowing suffering to produce good, godly fruits, is a good thing. And it's also a good thing in our loved ones when suffering can lead them to Christ and to see their great need for the almighty and sovereign God. Therefore, let us aim to value life, stand for life, treat others with dignity, cherish one another, embrace suffering, and think biblically about the lives of the unborn, the lives of those who are facing the end of their lives. May we care about life from conception to natural death and everything in between. And may we fight to see God's glory and righteousness displayed in our lives and in this world. As we sang this morning, all that borrow life, all that borrow life from thee will be in thy care. We're borrowing life from God. You realize that? He gave it to us. What are we doing with it? I'll end with this. Helen Keller knew suffering. At the young age of two, she became blind and deaf but she also came to know Christ as her Savior. And she said this, Oh, I thank God for my handicaps, for through them I have found myself, my work, and my God. And right before her passing at age 88, she penned these beautiful words, Death is no more than passing from one room into another. But there is a difference for me, you know, because in that other room, I shall be able to see, and not just see, but see the face of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This my friends, is how to suffer well. 
to honor and cherish life. It is true for us as well that all of us who are in Jesus Christ will one day see his face. Let's pray. Father, you are the creator of life. Every person finds their value in this life because you have given it to them. Father, help us, help us every day to acknowledge you with our lives and to glorify you in it. In Jesus' name, amen.